Well, good morning, church. Let me add happy Easter. And best of all, I get to this, the Lord is risen. Oh, that's, always, that's so much fun. That's the reason I became a pastor, I think, just so I could do that. Uh, for those who may not know me, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and what a day it is today um, that we get to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, what a truth uh, to just know that Jesus is alive. Uh, I was actually, I read something by Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller this week, talking about the resurrection. He said, this stuff is too wonderful for words. And he's, he's so right. Uh, I'm still going to give you words this morning. It's what I do. Uh, but just know that whatever I say this morning, the truth about Jesus, it's always more. It's going to be more wonderful, more hopeful, more transformational, more life-giving than anything I say about it this morning. Because this is truth that changed the world. But not even better than that, this is truth that actually changes us. Because, you know, to some people, Easter, it's just it's another long weekend. To others... It's an opportunity to, you know, eat turkey and spend time with family. And to others, it's about chocolate and Easter egg hunts and, you know, brown bunnies and all that sort of stuff thrown in. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong sort of with any of those things. But to us as Christians, Easter is so much more. Uh, to us, Easter is everything. Easter is, is our hope. Easter is the truth that we build our lives upon. And to look at that truth, I want to encourage you to join me in turning to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 28, as we look at Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus. And if you'd like to follow along with me, you can open up in your own Bible. There's a pew Bible there. Uh, it'll also be on the screen behind me. But Matthew 28, verses 1 to 9, is what we'll look at this morning. And it says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Let's pray this morning. Father God, uh, what a moment of joy we get to celebrate this morning. Uh, Lord, how much excitement there is to celebrate this truth, to celebrate that Jesus is alive. And Lord, I pray that there would be excitement uh, in our hearts, but Lord, also as we look just at your word, that there would be an excitement as we get to hear from you. Um, this truth once again. Uh, Lord, that there'd be an anticipation in our lives just to hear your, your still small voice speaking to us uh, these words of life once again as we hear about resurrection and salvation that is available to us through Jesus. I pray we would have 
open ears and open hearts to this truth that we would hear. And Lord, we invite you uh, to be among us, that Lord, you are risen and you are alive, and that Lord, your presence is with us even now, and we welcome you into our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, John Ortberg, uh, he's a writer, uh, and he once wrote sort of rather simply something I loved. He says, as you go through the Bible, you realize that the Bible is, among other things, a list of great walks. There's a peaceful walk of Adam in the garden with God. There's Abraham's journey out of the east to the land of Canaan. There's Moses' walk across the dry land that was the Red Sea to lead the people of God out of Egypt. Joshua's walk around the city of Jericho. There's the tribe of Judah's walk into captivity and back again. There's Paul's journeys, missionary journeys in the book of Acts. But maybe most importantly, there's Jesus' walk from his baptism to the cross and beyond. And maybe that's why we have passages like Colossians 1 verse 10, where we're told, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully, and full, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, walking is a wonderful picture of how we live our lives in a relationship with God. But this morning, I want to take that image one step further and say that our relationship with the Lord is not just thought of as a walk. Let's think of it as a dance, a dance of salvation. And that's why I titled this sermon, I called it The Resurrection Waltz. And I did that partly because I don't know a lot about dancing. All I have to go on is what I learned in grade 8 gym. So it was a waltz or is the bunny hop. That's sort of the, you know, there might be a Watusi in there somewhere. But a waltz, waltz actually works really well because the, it's, it's the box step, if you know it well. It's just four steps, back, side, forward, side, repeat. And, you know, even my Baptist sort of dance-challenged brain can kind of get my head around four simple steps. And, you know, what's amazing about that is sometimes my kids watch that show sort of dancing with the stars. Uh, and something that sort of always amazes me is how, you know, these four simple steps, when you put them into the hands of an expert, can really become a thing of great beauty and even great joy. And you know, as we look at the dance of salvation this morning, you need to know that it is also something full of great beauty and great joy for those who join in. And just like a waltz, this dance has four steps that are going to guide us, four steps that lead us to new joy, new life, new hope, in Christ. These are four steps that lead us to salvation. And the very first step of this dance is the step that God takes from heaven to earth. Because you know what? Like any dance, you need someone to lead and you need someone to follow. And in this dance of salvation, God is the one who, who takes the lead. God always takes the initiative. God initiates a relationship with us. He initiates salvation because God is actively seeking to save a lost world long before that lost world even knows it needs to be saved. God always makes the first move. There's actually a story I love about a little girl who got lost in the woods. And her father loved his beloved daughter. So he, he goes on this all-out search to find his daughter. And you know, scared and alone, the, the girl Kyle's out for her daddy for a little while, but soon she, she's tired and she just falls asleep under a tree. 
But the father goes out and he searches all day and all night, never stopping, never giving up until just as the sun is coming up, he finds his sleeping daughter under a tree. Relieved and just tired from this long search, he picks up his daughter in his arms and he begins to carry her home. And as he picks her up, the daughter stirs in his arms and she looks at her father in the eyes and she says, Daddy, I'm so glad I found you. And that's a great story because it reminds us that when we find God, it's because he was searching for us long before we ever found him. Because God reaches out to people in all kinds of ways. God uses all kinds of circumstances to make himself known. Sometimes he uses events of great joy in our lives. Sometimes it's the beauty of creation. Sometimes it's the pursuit of science or philosophy that he reveals himself. Sometimes Sometimes God's heard the loudest in a person's life through great suffering. And God spoke to Moses as a burning bush. He spoke to Isaiah in the temple as a vision. He spoke to Joseph in a dream. To Nineveh, he sent a prophet. God reached the wise men through their study of the stars. But you know, the best and greatest and truest way that God makes himself known to each and every one of us is through Jesus the Bible tells us that Jesus himself is God. Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity. You know, when we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus is God the Son. But to bring us salvation, Jesus left heaven behind and he took that step from heaven to earth. God took on flesh and became one of us. And that's what the Christmas story is about, all about. God being born in a manger. And that's why we have, you know, we read in the Gospel of John, John 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's why uh, Paul would later say about Jesus as well. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, he says about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and from him or for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you know, all of those verses, they point us to the uniqueness of Jesus. Because it means Jesus is the creator of all things. Jesus is our redeemer. He is our savior. He is our Lord. He is almighty. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful in all things. He is ever-present. He is sovereign and he is supreme. Jesus is fully God, and he was fully human, and he is fully holy. He's perfectly perfect in every way. And you know what a day it was when Jesus became one of us, and he took that step from heaven to earth, which leads to the second step of this dance. And that's the step from the stable to the cross. You know, sometimes I'll say something around Christmas time, something like, Jesus was born in a stable to die on a cross. Because Christmas and Good Friday and Easter are all part 
of the same story. They are all part of the reason that Jesus came. Because, you know, even as Jesus, as he ministered to others, even as he taught people about the kingdom of God, even as he performed those miracles of healing the sick and casting out demons and feeding the thousands, even as Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to God, it was still necessary that Jesus die the perfect death. Because there's a need in all of our lives that only Jesus could fill. And there's a reason for this second step of this dance. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin is not just something we do, it is the condition into which we are born. We are born sinners. And because of that, sin infects and affects every part of our lives. Nothing's immune, nothing's overlooked. Our minds, our emotions, our will, our intellects, our moral reasoning, our decision-making, our words, our deeds, all of it is affected by sin. And even worse, Romans 6, 23 goes as far to tell us that the wages of sin is death. And when it says death there, it means more than just having your heart stop and your lungs stop breathing. This death is it's a permanent, eternal separation from God. And yet Jesus, even though he was the only one ever born without sin, even though he was the only begotten son of God, even though he was the second person of the Trinity itself, Jesus chose to come into our world to die on the cross. And not for himself, but to die on our behalf. He took the penalty that we owed. The punishment for our sin was upon him. Jesus paid the wages for our sin on the cross. That means as 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's what the cross is all about. And yet even then, the story is not over. Because after the cross, well, that still leaves Jesus in the grave. And you know, we see that even, we get a small glimpse into the lives of the women on the way to the tomb of Jesus from our passage, Matthew 28, verse 1. It tells us, now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And you know, when you think about this moment in the Easter story, you realize that these women were not on their way to an Easter sunrise service. They weren't going to church to, to worship God. They were not, you know, going to sing songs of praise for all of the good things that God had been doing in their lives. These were women who were on their way to visit the grave of their best friend. These weren't people who were excited about what the future held. They were people who were afraid of what tomorrow might bring. And they didn't know how things could ever be normal again. And even when they get to the tomb and they find it empty, they knew it was news, but they didn't yet know it was good news. And you know, that's the thing about Easter. If you don't know the joy of the resurrection, you only know the sorrow of loss. Chuck Swindoll says his, about Jesus, his most faithful followers sat in dejected wonder as the sun set and the Sabbath began. In light of the prophecies which Jesus had fulfilled, in light of the promises he had made and given complete confidence that he had placed in them, nothing made sense. Not only had Jesus failed to improve Israel, but the nation's future seemed even bleaker than before. 
Discouragement and desperation reigned supreme. Then he asked, perhaps you can identify with the pain of Jesus' followers. Perhaps you've experienced the death of a dream or had the bridge to your ideal future crumble beneath your feet. Maybe you're suffering that difficult, disillusioning situation right now. Because moments like that come for all of us. You know, it's one of those moments when you lose your job, you're laid off, and the bills start piling up. It's when a relationship that you've been hoping in just falls apart. It's when your kids make bad choices and are faced with even worse consequences. It happens that moment that the doctor gives you that bad news you never wanted to hear. And it can happen just in those moments when you just feel lost and you feel alone and you just want some answers that could maybe make sense of it all and you feel desperate for something. Something to hope in, something you could believe in, something that'll make sense of it all, something that can make the hurt go away. But here's the thing we all need to hear. Because this is where the Easter story becomes good news. Because this is not where the dance ends. If it did, it'd only be a two-step. It's not a two-step, it's a waltz. Because not even death can stop it. As Jesus leads us to the third step of this dance, the step from the tomb into the garden. It's a step going from death into life. As we look at the rest of this story in Matthew 28, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Now come and see the place where he lay, and they go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him, and see, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples, and behold... Jesus met them there and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And what a transformation we see in these women from verse 1 to verse 9. What a transformation we see when the truth of Easter breaks through and they realize that Jesus is alive. And you know, what a transformation that Jesus makes in all of our lives. Because it's precisely at these moments like this, in these moments when you have nothing else left, when all your hopes and dreams have died and all your plans and desires have felt like they come to nothing, it is then that the gospel of Jesus Christ shines best and brightest. And you know, when you read the Bible, one thing is clear. No one, no one who meets the risen Lord Jesus is ever the same. New life, new passion, new power, new purpose comes into their life. You know, both of these Marys in our passage, their lives were changed the moment that they see the resurrected Lord. That truth changes everything. Peter's life was changed the moment he meets the resurrected Lord. Thomas's life was changed when he saw the nail-scarred hands and feet. Paul, his
His life was changed on that dusty road to Damascus the moment that the risen Lord Jesus shows up and introduces himself. And the list goes on. Jesus changing lives. As defeated disciples become these fearless men of God, these women who are filled with mourning are now filled with joy. Doubters become believers. Sinners become saints. Because once you encounter the risen Lord Jesus, your life is never the same again. And I can tell you that because I know that Jesus has made a difference in my life. And he's made the difference in the lives of the people all around you this morning. And you, you, could, you could throw a stick in here. We're not actually going to throw any sticks. But if you did, wherever that stick landed, you would likely find a person on the other end of that stick who could tell you their own story about how their life was transformed by Jesus. And that's the difference the resurrection makes. And I love the words of the person who wrote this. Saying that the resurrection means that Jesus was who he claimed to be. The resurrection means that Jesus had the power he claimed to have. The resurrection means that Jesus did what he promised to do. The resurrection means my past can be forgiven. The resurrection means that my present problems can be managed. The resurrection means that my future can be secure. The resurrection means that in Christ, even death is no longer a dead end. The first sermon ever preached by the disciples was preached by Peter, and it was about the resurrection. In every place that Paul preached, he preached the resurrection. In every book in the New Testament, the resurrection is the key to the claims held within. There are over 300 verses concerned with the subject of Jesus' resurrection in the New Testament alone because the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us again and again that it happened, that Jesus is alive, that the Lord has risen. And you know, if you're struggling here this morning, if you're feeling discouraged, if you're in need of hope, you don't need another sermon. You don't need to take a class. You don't need the power of positive thinking you need Jesus. You need an encounter with the risen Lord. You need to let the resurrection of Jesus become a reality in your life. You need to join the dance, which actually leads us to the last step of this resurrection waltz. And it's a step that we have to take because God takes the first three steps. But if you want to join in the dance, the moment comes when you need to choose to follow. I actually read, uh, well, a few days ago, weeks back, there's a story told about a pastor, about a woman in his church. And he writes this. He said, a friend of ours recently shared how she spent a great deal of her life living far from God. Over time, she realized the limitations of her own self-sufficiency and pride and feeling she needed more information about God um, before she would commit. She spent about a year sort of studying God and asking questions. But it wasn't long before she realized that her issue was no longer a lack of information, that she had commitment issues. She'd never actually really surrendered her life to God because she knew that if Jesus had been raised from the dead, that fact changes everything. And this friend of ours, they say, decided she wanted to confess her sins and receive forgiveness and start a new life. But she wanted to make the change really clear so she went home and she stood in her kitchen, staring at the threshold between her kitchen and her living room. And she said aloud, God, when I step across that line, 
I want you to know I am leaving my old life behind. I'm leaving behind my old sin. I want to be forgiven. I want to be your child. I want Jesus to be my forgiver and my friend and my leader. And then she took the step across that line. And they say she later told us that was the biggest step I've ever taken in my life because I entered into a relationship with God. And now when I have problems or questions or doubts, I remember that line and I remember that step that I took. So let me ask you, in the dance of salvation, have you taken that step? Have you taken the step to accept the gift of salvation that Jesus offers us? Taken the step to accept the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the life that is available in Christ? Because you know, all of us came here this morning for different reasons. Some came because it's the traditional thing to do at Easter Others came because a friend who loves you very much invited you to come. Some of you may have saw an advertisement that got your attention, one of those irritating pop-ups on Facebook. Thanks, Facebook. But you know, it doesn't really matter why you think you're here. Because you're not here by accident. God brought you here, and he brought you here so you could hear something very important. Because God wants to invite you to join the dance of salvation. God wants you to join him in the joy of knowing eternal life. And God is passionate about that. One of my favorite quotes by David Redding says, there is no other blessing I can give you. There's no gift so precious, no treasure so refreshing, nothing that can provision you for the journey we're all making than to tell you that there is a God who is searching diligently for you. He is not a stationary God. He's crazy about you. The expense to which he has gone isn't reasonable, it's incredible, it's amazing. The cross was not a very dignified ransom, to say the least. It was a splurge of love and glory lavishly spent on you and me. And you know, God wants you to know that there is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He wants you to know that he is offering you his grace and his mercy and salvation. And he wants you to take that next step in a relationship with him. And in moments like this, I always want to be an encourager. I don't want to make people feel guilty. I don't want to force people or coerce people or into anything they're not ready for. But what I always want is I want people to experience God's very best in their life. And I'm convinced that God's best for each and every one of our lives is found in a relationship with Jesus. And if you want to take that step today, the Bible tells us you simply need to believe. Believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Believe that he died on the cross for our sins. Believe that he rose again from the dead. And believe that as our living Lord, he offers us life and life eternal. And you can pray a simple prayer. You can confess you're a sinner. Admit that your life has been full of pain and mistakes and rebellion and that you need a change. And simply ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And come into your life as your Lord and Savior. And he'll do that. He'll do that every time. First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's a promise all of us can claim. And if you made that choice today, or even if you're struggling with it and you want someone to talk to, I would encourage you to contact the church. 
Because we would love to be able to walk with you as you make that decision and support you as you take your first steps of faith in your new life in Christ. Because if you've been hearing God this morning, if he's been tugging at your heart this morning, don't put it off for another day. Because this is what Easter is about. You know, the stone wasn't rolled away from the tomb to let Jesus out. It was rolled away to let other people in so that we could experience the reality of Easter for ourselves. And that life of victory, that life of transformation, that life of forgiveness of sin, that hope for eternity, the the life of joy and peace and purity and grace and assurance, that's for you. That is what joining the dance of salvation is all about. That's the resurrection waltz. Step one, God moves from heaven to earth. Jesus takes on flesh as God sends us a Savior. Step two, Jesus moves from the stable to the cross to pay for our sin. Step three, Jesus moves from the tomb to the garden, stepping from death back into life. The promises of God fulfilled and the hope of eternal life now assured. And step four is the choice that we make to join in. Join in on the life that Jesus offers to us. We join the dance. We make salvation our very own. And you know, once again this morning, we have the privilege of celebrating Easter, celebrating that the tomb is empty, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the hope and the joy and the forgiveness that is now available to us through him. And that really is a truth more wonderful than words. Because the angel did speak the truth. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Never forget that truth. Never stop hoping in it. Never stop living it out. Never let yourself forget that the Lord is risen. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we just truly want to celebrate the resurrection. Celebrate it knowing it's not just good news, but it is the greatest news possible. It is news of hope. It is news of life. It is news of joy. It's news of mercy and grace that is offered to us. It's news of new possibilities in our lives as we seek to live for you. Because, Lord, our lives can be changed. Our lives can be transformed by the risen Lord Jesus in our lives. And, Lord, you pull, when we make that choice, you pull us out of all of those dark places. Lord, you pull us out of the, the guilt and the shame and the sorrow that we so often live in day after day. And you offer us new life in you. And that, that Lord, doesn't mean our problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean we promise us just smooth sailing every day of our lives. But Lord, in all of the things going forward, we know that we are never alone. And that, Lord, you lend us the strength to go on. And that, Lord, we have this hope that we live in. This hope of eternal life that is now ours. And Lord, because you loved us, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the step Jesus took from heaven to earth, becoming our Savior. We thank you for the cross where he died for our sins. And we thank you for that empty tomb, which is the promise of new life and life eternal. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, we would take that last step into a relationship with you to experience that new life that is available to us. Lord, I pray that we would join the dance. And Lord, we celebrate that truth as we celebrate Easter once again today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark.